Welcome to WrestleWave. Not just a show, but an experience. Look at the stare of the champion against the challenger. An experience made of good sounds, good vibes, and wrestling talk. Five, two. Here's your host from his nostalgic, chill-filled WrestleWave studios in downtown Chicago, the savior of sound, the man with the mic, the rider of the wrestling wave, Charlie Orr. Welcome, people, to the second ever edition of Russell Wave. I got a lot of really good feedback last week from my followers on social media and about how it's a unique experience that everyone has really enjoyed so far. So uh, it means a lot. It means a lot to have that feedback. And uh, it's onward and upward uh, from here for the show. Uh, Join me as let's ride to the top. Uh, The weekly review of Wrestling TV is next. But first, we're going to kickstart the first song break with the artist that we left off with last week. This is St. Pepsi with Challenger. And still at Studio 54, people crowd the doors hoping to get in. But first, they have to do something even harder than finding a place to park here, and that's to win the approval of the owner, 28-year-old Steve Rubell. Oh, 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 
We are back here on Russell Wave. Oh, gotta love a little bit of that St. Pepsi. Favorite of the show, for sure. Uh, we're going to head right into the weekly review, starting with a historically bad Monday Night Raw. My God, this was horrible. I'm not going to go over Monday Night Raw too much in depth, but I'm just going to talk about the main thing that I think is the most pressing issue of Monday Night Raw, and that's retribution. Just a total disaster. I have not seen anything as hokey and as ridiculous as this, probably since Dean Ambrose's heel turn back in 2018, whenever that was. That caused him to leave the company. <laughs> so I guess we'll start with the members that were eventually revealed. So we got T-Bar, <laughs> Dominic Dijakovic, uh, Mace, who was Dio Madden, the former Raw commentator, Slapjack... <laughs> who was uh, Shane Thorne, and then Mia Yim and Mercedes Martinez. Uh, Mia Yim may have the name Reckoning, because she revealed that on on, t on her personal Twitter. Uh, it wasn't really revealed on Raw. Perhaps they'll go into more detail, and they'll, they'll give them names. And then Mercedes Martinez was given the name <laughs> Retaliation <laughs> off-screen. Yeah, so all of that was revealed on Twitter. They cut a horribly written promo. Uh, the wrestlers are clearly given it. They're all... Mia Yim was the main one who was cutting the promo. It just, you can't work with the lines that they gave them. This is not even the talent, the combined talent of a Shane Thorne or Dino Madden or Dominic Dijakovic. Not, all their combined talent cannot save this. Retribution is clearly already ruined. There's really no saving it. Uh, the group is a really bad mishmash of like Mad Max, Bane, and late stage WCW, honestly. It's horrible. It's just horrible. And I feel bad for these people and their careers. That's all I really got to say about Raw. Let's move on to the good stuff. Uh, the best and worst of AEW Dynamite and NXT. Both of these took place on September 23rd of 2020. Starting things off with AEW, this was a much better show than last week. Uh, better in-ring action and story progression. A match that kind of honored both of those things was uh, Hangman Page and Evil Uno. I haven't really been too much of a fan of Evil Uno, uh, whether that's in-ring or on the microphone. He just hasn't really gotten me, but this match was easily his best work. Hangman Page continued his solo win streak. He defeated Evil Uno tonight. They had Kenny Omega on commentary again, and I really like how passive-aggressive Kenny Omega is becoming. And It seems like AEW is going for the slow burn when it comes to their rivalry. Another great thing on the show was FTR's promo with the best friends, full of the mind games FTR is known for. And they basically challenged him to go face-to-face and then when Best Friends was all ready and jacked up to fight, FTR backed out of the fight. It was really awesome. It created some really good intrigue for a future match between the two teams. A uh, good way to kind of continue that build. Speaking of intrigue, uh, the Young Bucks heel turn's been progressing really well. I liked how they've kind of leaned into this more disingenuous personality for them rather than just a black and white villain role. Uh, Matt Jackson had an interview with Tony Schiavone uh, where Tony Schiavone was questioning some of the motives and some of the recent actions of the Young Bucks, and uh, Matt Jackson just took his phone and broke it. So a really good way to kind of ease them slowly into a, a heel role where they're kind of being more passive-aggressive, a lot like Kenny Omega. That's the good thing about AEW's booking at the moment is it's not as black and white of uh, situations with their characters. One of the best things about AEW this weekend was the one-two punch back-to-back -back segments with the Dark Order. The, the first part of that segment was with the TNT Championship defense from Brody Lee. 
He defended the TNT Championship against Orange Cassidy. And then the return of Cody that followed that. The match was really, really good between Cassidy and Lee. Orange Cassidy's really been proving that the gimmick has not held him back despite being kind of ridiculous at times. Great match. Brody Lee ended up retaining the championship. And the return of Cody Rhodes was really unexpected. I had heard he had been filming that show they had been promoting. And he had just, I've heard different things where he was going to rust up or something like that. He came back with black hair. He's back to regular Cody Rhodes. He came back and cleaned house with the Dark Order and put one of them in the figure four leg lock. And it's become pretty obvious that there's a really good program here. I'm excited for what comes next with the story. Another thing to really check out this past week was anything and everything with Eddie Kingston. Uh, his angry promo against John Moxley where he basically called him a sports entertainer as a pejorative. He called him a sellout. He created basically he created hype only minutes before this world championship match that was just announced like earlier in the day because unfortunately Lance Archer was diagnosed with COVID uh, so he had to kind of sit it out he'll be back in two weeks but the match between John Moxley and Eddie Kingston was really raw authentic it was good it was hard hitting a little bit of that garbage wrestling style I love that style uh, it worked really well. John Moxley ended up defeating Eddie Kingston. Great stuff all around. It gave a little bit of legitimacy to Eddie Kingston. Uh, despite being so new to the company, he's already in a world championship match. So John Moxley looked really good as well. So that was honestly, that was my thoughts on AEW Dynamite this week. We're blessed to have wrestling on Wednesdays because NXT was also a really great show. Uh, Candice LeRae won the number one contenders battle royal for the women's championship. Candace has been out of the women's championship picture until now, and her progression into her heel character has really benefited from this fact, the fact that she hasn't challenged anything. She feels overlooked and all that. This should be a really great and fresh match with Candice LeRae and Neo Shirai at TakeOver for the championship. And speaking of fresh, Tommaso Ciampa's mental decline has always been a highlight the past recent weeks on NXT. He's always been better as a heel, so this is kind of a welcome change. He faced Jake Atlas this episode. It was a short and sweet matchup. Uh, Jake Atlas is a good choice to be the baby face that Ciampa targets. He's a very likable character, so it kind of worked. And Ciampa's like aggression and in his attacks have, has created really good sympathy for Jake Atlas as well. The match was more story and character than in-ring action, but that was not the case for the match between Damian Priest and Austin Theory, which we're going to cover right now. This was just a well-worked, high-impact style. It really landed for me. Some great moves from Damian Priest hitting a crossbody out of the Undertaker's move, the old school. And there was a toss Falcon Arrow and just everything else that he did. Damian Priest won this match against Austin Theory, and he's definitely been a great choice to be North American champion. He definitely embodies the workhorse style of mid-card championships for sure. And when it comes to workhorses, you can't really get much better than the participants in the main event gauntlet match. Between Kyle O'Reilly, Kushida, Bronson Reed, Timothy Thatcher, and Cameron Grimes, this was a number one contendership gauntlet match to face Finn Balor at TakeOver. The best thing about this match was the styles of wrestling that evolved throughout the matchup. Uh, there was a grappling start with Kyle O'Reilly and Kushida, and then it became a powerhouse style with Bronson Reed as he entered, and an amateur wrestling style with Timothy Thatcher and then finally a high-flying high-risk top rope style with Cameron Grimes a great thing too was the match eventually settled into a mixture of all of those styles in a really pretty gripping finale Kyle O'Reilly ended up winning the match and he should be an interesting new choice to face Finn Balor at TakeOver that's kind of been the theme of NXT this episode and just recently is that new faces fresh faces fresh feuds and I think that's going to benefit them in the long run there wasn't really anything too bad on this show but I was definitely indifferent over two things the one 
one that kind of sticks out to me was the Ridge Holland squash match. He beat some local jobber or local competitor in WWE speak. Uh, I definitely understood the purpose in you know building him up and creating a bit of a threat out of Ridge Holland, but it wasn't too attention grabbing for me like a lot of the other stuff on the show. The other thing I didn't really care about too much was the mix and match tag team thing that Fandango set up. I mean, it was well worked, but if you just look at the segment where Fandango announced it, it's a bit convoluted, but in the end, it was fine, solid wrestling, but not too much uh, not too much investment on my part. That was pretty much it for NXT, and I know we didn't cover SmackDown last week, but like Raw, it's not always worth talking about. So for now, with Raw and SmackDown, I'll just cover the best or most newsworthy thing from that week. Best thing about SmackDown this week was 100% the Roman Reigns and Jey Uso confrontation. They had a promo where Jey Uso, who's the number one contender for Roman Reigns' Universal Championship, it was a story of bloodline, uh, and Roman Reigns being the breadwinner for the Anawahi family, and Jay Uso's feelings of being overlooked. He gave a really good line where he said, like, you know what they ask me? Which Uso are you? And just feeling overlooked, and that was a really good standout line. Roman's attack afterwards solidified him as the heel in this match, which he's kind of been on the border since he returned. Like, people at first weren't really sure if he was an actual heel or if this was just kind of a tweener role, but this is clearly establishing him as the heel and the villain in this story. And that was much needed, and I think that creates some good conflict for Clash of Champions. And uh, that was pretty much the week in wrestling. Uh, We got the news segment up next. And until then, I'm going to leave you with this iconic track from Home called Resonance on WrestleWave Radio. You're going to really like this one.
to Russell Wave. Let's dive into the news segment of the show. Starting off with a, a bit of a sad note. Joe Laurinaitis, uh, otherwise known as Road Warrior Animal, passed away on Wednesday. He was best known for his run in both WWF and WCW, and his rivalry with the Four Horsemen and NWA is legendary. Definitely tore it up and made a lot of memories there. Uh, he was a multiple-time tag team champion everywhere with uh, Road Warrior Hawk, uh, who also passed away in 2003. So my thoughts and prayers go out to the Laurinaitis family. He will be dearly missed. On a brighter and more optimistic note, God knows we need it, uh, Russell Votes on Twitter has reported this interesting tidbit. Quote, over the past week or so, WWE has assembled a small team to figure out if running TV from the outdoor venues would be feasible once the Thunderdome contract expires. The idea is that both SmackDown and Raw would be in the same location every week. Southern states with good weather is the preference all TBD. So, yeah, that was the thing with um, uh, WWE recently. Their Thunderdome contract runs out in, I believe, late October. Uh, not that they can't renew it, but I think that with, I believe, Florida, they're basically moving towards a full reopening so they could obviously stay in florida or somewhere else the southern states generally have been a little bit more lax with some of the restrictions so if they're looking to fill up an audience or at least 30 percent they could probably do it uh in florida or wherever uh it's definitely something that they're looking into actively so uh, expect some movement on that towards late October. Another news item, according to multiple sources, mainly PW Insider and Fightful, uh, former WWE star Melina Perez is expected to return to the company. She was released from WWE in 2011 and competed in multiple indie wrestling companies, most recently the NWA. Uh, her contract with NWA recently expired, so all signs pretty much point to her return rather soon. Melina honestly was very ahead of her time, especially in the era that she was wrestling in in WWE. Uh, she garnered a lot of praise from people like Bret Hart and, and most recently Booker T. So uh, definitely one to watch. Uh, she should be a really good addition to the roster, provide some experience along the lines of Mickey James. Hopefully they don't mishandle her as badly as they mishandled uh, Mickey James in her return to the company, but uh, we can only hope. Uh, so that's it for the news. Uh, we'll be right back with the wrap-up after this 2010 synthwave track from Miami Nights 1984 called Sunset Cruise. Uh, we'll be back on WrestleWave Radio.
we have reached the end of this episode of Russell Wave, people. Uh, once again, got to get my plugs out of the way. <laughs> so follow me on Instagram at Charlie Does Whatever, Twitter at Charlie Does What, and follow the podcast at Russell Wave Radio on Instagram and Russell Wave Pod on Twitter. It's been a great week in professional wrestling. Uh, we got Clash of Champions on Sunday, so let's look out for that one. I'll be back next week, and remember, people, ride the wave, the Russell Wave. Take care, everybody.